The WBFO Brief Podcast is made possible by Simon Business School, presenting the Simon Games, an online business simulation competition for MBA scholarships where participants act as the CEOs of their own businesses. Learn more at simon.rochester.edu slash simongames. It's Wednesday, February 15th. Today's WBFO Brief was recorded around 8.30 in the morning. This is WBFO News. Here's Jay Moran. Today's sentencing of the man who killed 10 people and wounded three others while conducting the racist attack on the Jefferson Avenue tops is likely to be one of many legal stops related to the case. Attorney John Elmore represents some of the families who lost loved ones in the May 14th mass shooting. While he and family members will be on hand when Peyton Gendron is sentenced today, Elmore says there will be others to be held accountable. Well, Gendron's been held responsible because he's going to jail for life without parole. But we believe that there are other bad actors out there, and we want to make this country safer and this community safer and make sure that there's, another, that there's not another massacre I like the top shooting. A heavy security presence is in place in downtown Buffalo this morning in advance of Gendron's courtroom appearance. WBFO will be on hand to provide extensive coverage throughout the day. A Tuesday night shooting in Buffalo has sent five people to the hospital for treatment. Police say the incident may have followed an argument or fight on Crossman Avenue in the Schiller Park neighborhood. Anyone with information is asked to call or text the Buffalo Police tip call line at 716-847-2255. And the New York State Park Police has issued an updated statement on the Monday afternoon incident in which a woman died after her five-year-old son was seriously injured after an apparent jump into the Niagara Gorge. The boy is in critical condition at Osai Children's Hospital in Buffalo after undergoing surgery. Park Police noted its investigation into the incident is continuing. Workers at the Tesla Gigafactory in South Buffalo are once again in the beginning stages of unionization. Employees have formed a committee, Tesla Workers United, quote-unquote, in the interest of organizing our co-workers. The group is partnering with Workers United Rochester Regional Joint Board, the same organization that has worked with recent unionization efforts by employees at Starbucks, Spot Coffee, the Lexington Co-op, and Remedy House in Buffalo. And more than 10,000 unrepresented New York State employees are now eligible to receive 12 weeks of fully paid parental leave to use for bonding with a newborn, fostered, or adopted child. In release, Governor Kathy Hochul noted that this first-in-the-nation initiative is not only good for affected families, but that's also good policy. Top shooter Peyton Gendron will be in court today as a judge sentences him on state terrorism and hate crimes. But meanwhile, there are several who say today's sentencing is a non-event and that society needs to hold more than just Gendron responsible. WBFO's Dave Debo explains. Attorneys and some family members that want to take it further say today's proceeding, and Gendron too, really, are almost meaningless in the grander scheme of things. Attorney John Elmore represents the families of Kat Massey and Andre McNeil, both killed by Gendron. Well, Gendron's been held responsible because he's going to jail for life without parole but we believe that there are other bad actors out there and we want to make this country safer and this community safer. Attorney Terry Connors is working on behalf of Ruth Whitfield's family. We're looking to shine a spotlight on others who may have contributed to this and may have contributed to other mass shootings that occurred almost on a weekly basis. I am so tired of picking up my newspaper or checking the evening news and seeing another shooting in 
parkland in Uvalde. Garnell Whitfield lost his mother, Ruth, to Gendron's bullets. He's dead man walking. I don't care what happens to him. He's in custody. He's not able to hurt anybody else. Whether he lives or dies is not my place to say, okay? I can't advocate for the death penalty because it's used disproportionately against my people. And that's not going to bring my mother back. What I'm advocating for is to shine light on all of the people, places, and things that were part of this. And Whitfield says an eventual possible guilty plea in federal court, if the death penalty is off the table, would extinguish that light. My concern is uh, about the voluminous evidence. What happens to that? Because in that evidence are all of the things that help facilitate, that help people may have participated, you know, systems failed. All of that evidence is what I'm concerned about. Toward that end, Elmore has a Freedom of Information request to New York State Attorney General Letitia James, and he expects to get her deep background information on his radicalization process. All of the documents that they've subpoenaed from the social media platforms that made them conclude that social media played a a major role. An October report by James found several anonymous platforms like 4chan, influenced Gendron, and she says that live stream platforms like Twitch were, in her words, weaponized to encourage copycats and publicize attackers. Almore and Connors both are looking at the AG's report and the documentation that she used to create it. It's a good starting point, and we've used some of that data, but we have people who are experts in the field of online digital platforms, and we're looking to determine if there are additional places to go. We believe there are many responsible parties. Social media is where Gendron became radicalized, but we're also looking at the manufacturer of the weapon, the manufacturer of the body armor, the manufacturer of the gun magazine. And he's not concerned over First Amendment protections. You think of a defective product, whether it be a drug, a car that's unsafe. You can sue it for manufacturing design. And while Elmore looks at the AG data, Connor says there's a bigger treasure trove, terabytes of information from the federal prosecution that's still pending. They have four terabytes. I understand that one terabyte is like 10,000 pages of documents. It's a lot of information. We've asked the federal government to share it with us. Beyond today's proceedings, both Elmore and Connor say the families are not yet of one mind on the death penalty. Some want it, they say. Some don't care. Others are focused on the more systemic problems. Pamela Young lost her mother, Pearl, and spoke out after Gendron's guilty plea. He does not deserve to get a whole lot of attention. Now, do I want to keep what he did out there? Absolutely, because we have to acknowledge white supremacy. Mark Talley's mother, Geraldine, was shot dead by Gendron. He's beneath me. His family is beneath me. Former U.S. Attorney Anthony Bruce says the apology is basically a move to try and avoid the death penalty, but he says that's really something like throwing a deck chair overboard for the sake of saving the entire Titanic. Dave Debo, WBFO News. And WBFO will have extensive live coverage from in and around the courthouses throughout the sentencing and in the aftermath today. As a matter of fact, our our Buffalo What's Next Hour will be committed to just that coverage and perhaps beyond as well. Uh, again, that'll be right here on your NPR station, WBFO. While looking to unionize, workers at the Tesla Gigafactory in South Buffalo have formed a committee, Tesla Workers United. Sarah Constantino is one of the workers on the organizing committee and says they want workers to have a voice. We just want a seat in the car. We want to be able to just have the option to discuss these things. Like right now, our real want is for them to just say, okay, go ahead, have your vote. And if 
we win the election, we win the election. If we don't, we don't. But at least then we had the chance. This new Tesla Buffalo effort follows a December 2018 attempt by workers to organize with two national unions, the United Steelworkers and the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. Lobbyists and advocacy groups on Tuesday delivered Valentine messages to lawmakers at the state capitol. One thing they don't love, Governor Kathy Hochul's proposal to end a Medicaid drug plan that provides life-sustaining medicines to people with HIV. WBFO Albany correspondent Karen DeWitt reports. The program, begun in 1992, benefits health care centers and other organizations that include serving people with HIV and AIDS, including the state's Ryan White Centers. Patients there often require multiple medicines each day. The centers purchase the drugs at cost, but they get reimbursed at the higher rate that health insurance plans pay for the medicines. Perry Janjulis is the executive director of the Damien Center, a non profit aid services organization in Albany. He says the program allows them to use that extra money to pay for services that Medicaid doesn't cover for their clients, who are among society's most vulnerable. Things like housing, meals, mental health services, and transportation to medical appointments. Janjulis has taken drugs to control his HIV for nearly 30 years. I was supposed to die three months back in the day, back in 95 when they gave me the diagnosis. But he says he has a stable job and can access the medicines he needs. Many of his clients are uninsured or underinsured and aren't as lucky. The drugs are imperative for going on, but you cannot access the drugs today if you are homeless or if you are starving or if you're trying to, um, you know, you can't get to or get any support to be able to go to the doctor. And unfortunately, the majority of persons that we're serving right now are from communities of color. So it also turns into a health equity issue. Anthony Randolph is a client at Harlem United, which offers a wide array of health care services. He came to the Capitol to tell lawmakers that they should not cut the program. Randolph, who has HIV, says the organization helped him get his medications when a local pharmacy refused to fill a prescription, and they even helped him find a home. I get my housing from them, and this is going to affect my housing. If this goes through, they might have to cut their housing program. I won't have a place to live. Hochul is seeking to end the program in her state budget plan. She argues that consolidating the program and reimbursing pharmacies directly for the drugs will save money and provide more access to medications. The health centers also say Hochul's proposed changes don't include enough additional money to make up for the millions of dollars that they would lose. They say that would gut the centers and wipe out progress they've made in fighting the HIV and AIDS epidemic. Janjula says he'd lose a quarter of his entire budget and he'd have to begin cutting staff and programs in April. That's when the change would take effect under the governor's plan. i have to make some awful, awful decisions. The groups have offered compromise legislation that they say achieves the savings that the Hochul administration wants, but keeps the pharmacy benefit within managed care health plans and doesn't destroy the mechanism that they use to fund the other services. The chairs of the legislature's health committees, who are both Democrats, have been receptive to the idea. Senate Health Committee Chair Gustavo Rivera says he's opposed to ending the program. I want to make sure that that we can work together with you to get to a compromise where these services services can continue to be provided and you folks can be treated fairly. He urged the advocates to lobby his Senate colleagues who might not yet be convinced. The advocates dropped off their Valentine messages, including a large poster to Hochul's offices. The governor was at the Capitol, but she did not speak publicly. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt.
Buffalo native Nilea Ansari choreographed and directed Shay's Once on this Island, Shay's first play with an all-black and brown cast. Ansari, one of the few black women to direct in theater, was invited by the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. last November to perform The Movement of Joy, a piece she created that tells the story of black joy through dance. Recently, she was honored by the city of Buffalo for her work in the arts. Also an educator teaching Africana studies at Buffalo State University, Ansari spoke with WBFO's Anjali Preston about showcasing black joy through the arts. You choreographed and directed Once on this Island that showed at Shays, uh, all black cast. How was that for you handling multiple things? It's a lot. I don't suggest it if you don't have to, but... It was uh, it was beautiful to to be able to have an institution like Shays because a lot of you know a lot of us don't necessarily always have access to that kind of funding or institution that's been around for so long um, that's been in, in, embedded to a city. It, it was it was amazing to be able to give black and brown artists the space that they can really see a full production in its entirety, and you don't necessarily always have to worry about like. Where is this coming from? Do I have support? Because so often, particularly in the Black arts in general, it's always a struggle to find funding. So to to be able to have to be a director and a choreographer for Shay's for Shay's first produced show, and to have be a Black woman to do that, and to have it be a Black and Brown cast on a stage that most people aren't used to seeing Black and Brown folks was incredible. And then to have a Broadway reviewer come and put it at the top and the highest that you can have in terms of reviews. And not that I care about that per se, but it is nice to be able to say, like, this is what Buffalo has. This is who we are, particularly in the Black arts. And this is what we can do when we actually have the funds and the resources to do it. How did you get involved in dance? Uh, My mother put me in dance. So she was a dancer and she put me in when I was like two years old and I hated it. I was a mess. <laughs> I went to Miss Barbara School of Dance and Miss Barbara would tell you she used to be like, okay, girl, she she keeps crying in here. I don't know if this is going to work. <laughs> and then I just had like a shift around like five or six years old. My mother kept me in and I I think she had always saw like her and my dance teacher, particularly Miss Barbara, that I always maybe had something. So they never took me out. Um, but I got into it because of my mother. And then once I realized, I was like, oh, maybe I have a gift for this. Who were some of the women that you looked up to that inspired you? It would definitely be my mother, uh, Dr. LaVon Ansari, and it would be my aunt, Dr. Muriel Howard. And, you know, it was interesting to see them because they were both in, in worlds that Black women just were not leaders and they were the first in their own right. So to be able to see them navigate a world that didn't look like them was something that really gave me the strength to go into my world of the arts and navigate my own lens. So I'm like, all right, if y'all could do this with like, you know, on a corporate and like higher education institutional level, I could do this in the arts. I could figure out, at least figure out how to do this <laughs> in the arts. What would you say to to little black girls and little brown girls who want to like have a career in the arts? They want to dance, they want to perform on stage, but they don't see us, they don't, they don't see someone that looks like them. What would some words of encouragement be that you would give to them? I would say to navigate your own path because I've never seen anybody that looked like me in any of the roles that I've been in. Like everything's a learning experience. So you can't let fear overtake your, your, your hunger or need to, to put something out creatively. 
Um, and that's something that I, you know, I was, I was blessed to have a lot of black women mentors around me, but they weren't necessarily in the field that I was in. So I took like the leadership that I was blessed to be around in terms of mentorship and said, well, how can I take, you know, these ways of, of leaders and like strong black women that have been around me and then navigate it into the arts that I know I have a, a talent for. And so, you know, it might sound cliche of never giving up, but it's really like keep honing your own path and make it so good that nobody can tell you no. That is choreographer and director Naila Ansari in conversation this morning with WBFO's Anjali Preston. Be sure to like or subscribe so you can help others find this podcast. And if you love it, by all means, leave a review too. The WBFO Brief Podcast and the award-winning journalism of WBFO's news team is made possible by members. Thanks for listening.